It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Hey, Chris. Hey, Andrew. What'd you do last weekend? I went out to the desert all by myself. I was so jealous of that. Yeah, it's nice. I saw your yoga videos. (laughs) It's a thing that I used to do all the time, but now as a parent, it's a certain very deep luxury to be completely alone with no possibility of interruption. You love your family, but you also just want to like sleep somewhere else where they are not. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's especially the sleep part of it. <laughs> but it's funny because uh, I just saw a post um, actually from uh, Beth Rodden. And she's she's definitely kind of the that's sort of the corner of the climbing world that she's decided to inhabit it is kind of like parenting and being a mom and stuff yeah. like that. And and uh, yeah, she was is this a photo where she she looks haggard and just yeah, well, like that's kind tired. of a brand. Yeah, but it was that it was like, you know, she made some some reference to the the blessed quality of like spend getting to spend more time with your children but right and um i don't even reference the blessed part of it anymore yeah <laughs> it's like yeah there's nothing blessed about it <laughs> no it's tough i mean the pandemic i think has just been really hard on parents mm-hmm. who are you know trying to work from home especially if you have young kids right. who can't go to school right and she's she's certainly in the yeah, she's in the, in the thick right of it. Now. Yeah, well, and and the thing is, is that you and I have kids that are generally home anyway. Yeah, and also my actually my sort of daycare sitch has not been a, that big of a deal. So um, it's really more of a general idea of like getting away from your kids and your family, especially if you sort of came from that as like a climbing bum that I mm-hmm. once was, you know. And I lived my life as just a sort of single cat. I mean, shit for like fuck like 40 some years you know before the kid prowl yeah just on the prowl just out there living my life as i would whenever i wanted to so (laughs) anyway those days so yeah i went out to the desert i'm not gonna like explain it all again but back last year i had this crack project that i failed on at the at the chains and i have been debating whether or not i was going to even bother with it this year you felt like you basically sent. Yeah, I I can't do any better. I can yeah. only do worse. I can I can do better by clipping the chains, but other than that, I can only do worse. Right. So, I can either fall lower or do it or yeah. fall at the same spot, but um yeah, and and within the the the, the failure was the success of actually climbing a 513 crack like a a legitimate one. Anyway, so I was like, fuck, maybe I'm just done with it, but I just had this opportunity and it's a it's a place i love and so i went out there and i did the thing where i aided it 60 meters and then i hung a rope on it and then and then mini traction it and i was about the same as i have been in years past you know i was a little rusty but definitely could see doing you know as well and what happened last year is that i that weekend that i failed at the chains i should have in all climbing sort of logic and wisdom i you know take a day off or come back the next day and try again, just like your project out there, wherever Mm -hmm. it is, you know, it's like rest and then, you know, build on the success. But it was literally like four days before the pandemic lockdown that that happened. Oh yeah. And then actually that weekend 
it was already in the ether because we drove out there like we didn't go inside of any of the gas stations. This was when everybody was like pretty gripped. Right. So we didn't go inside of any of the gas stations. You know, it's like we were like just slathering ourselves in, 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 uh, you know, the gel, the antimicrobial gel. (laughs) And, uh, so we, we were like really serious already and and it hadn't even gone down And that following, that was the weekend. Then that following Thursday is when miles of school shut down. And like, that's when the, and that weekend is like when everything kind of shut down. So that was like the reason behind not going back. And so this year I'm just like, fuck, I got to kind of start over, you know, I got to go out there and like relearn it and clean it. Cause it doesn't get climbed that much. And you know, but I did. And I don't, I still don't know though, if I'm committed, it was kind of an exploratory mission. I, I did it. Then the next day I put up a new route, aided it and just put the anchors on and cleaned it and stuff. And then the following day I went back and did pretty good on it actually. And, uh, I'm headed out there this weekend. So. Oh, you are? Yeah, so we'll oh, see. Cool. This weekend, maybe... Uh, Alone or with a uh, partner? Yeah, with someone you know, actually. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going with Steve Dilk. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, it, was, it was a refreshing three days. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was so jealous of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to um, do that soon. Yeah? You know, like... like yeah, Vision just, Quest? Just, yeah, I, I'm due for just a, some time alone in the desert to collect my thoughts and maybe get into trouble. Yeah. You know, in a climbing sense either. So we both have uh we have dueling trailers now too. It's true. Yeah. So I brought the trailer. Well, you I mean your your trailer was the inspiration. Our, our trailer isn't as cool as yours on many levels, but and in some ways it is though. Well, it's the same in that it's old. Yeah. Although yours isn't really old. It's just pretend old. It's yours like, is pretend yeah, old yeah. and and mine is actually old. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, there, it's a 1965 little roadrunner, like tiny little thing. Single axle toe behind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, So we just got that last, uh, December and took it out on its maiden voyage last weekend. We were going to go out bouldering in like Joe's Valley or something like that, but there's like 50 mile an hour winds out there. So we went to Big Bend instead, and it was in Moab, like in Moab bouldering area in yep. Moab, yeah, yeah, just outside of Moab, and yeah, two little kids, you know, two nights of camping and super fun, awesome trip. So the trailer that we have is, we need to you know determine what kind of improvements we're going to make on it. So this is kind of that exploration of like what we like about it and what we don't or when we bought this it was kind of more or less you know roadworthy mm-hmm. and that was kind of one of my requirements with with purchasing a trailer is I didn't want to do what you did which was <laughs> have a three-month you know lumber yeah, yeah. project yeah, or totally. you know and of course it could be rebuilt of course I could do all these other things but I was very happy to discover that the in from my perspective it's good to go as right, it is right yeah um my wife might agree disagree with that she she wants things to change she has but, a pension for that sort of thing though yes so, yeah that's one of our tensions in our marriage <laughs> <laughs> because it's always like i saw this cool thing on pinterest and and, you it, and it'll it. take <laughs> you know it'll just be so easy to do and then you it's actually like 60 hours yeah. of your time to like get it done and so well, that's what happened to me with my trailer. Right. Is the lady brought it home. 
I know you yeah. got fucked. Yeah. So, um, but now it's like you know the you got fucked in a good way though. Yeah. Because yeah, I think totally. you like doing. I mean, that. getting fucked in usually a good way. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it most of the time, and uh, and now it's like it's pretty ideal, and it's like I was thinking about it the other day is there's one actual thing that I did on it that I want to change, only one, mm. and it's super minor, and it's it's really it's like where my USB port charging port is oh wow bums me out and so it's it's really like a, a an hour of change to that are and, you gonna do it or no oh fuck yeah yeah, yeah no no it's gotta be perfect <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's done it's not done either but but in terms of the layout and everything i sort of had in my head it just it's in just slightly the wrong place okay for it to be like really convenient so that's it. I was pretty stoked because it was all conceived in my head, you know. But I had the the luxury of having had this camper for years. Mm-hmm. So I had all the, you know, what worked and didn't work on that thing and it is a it was a, you know, it's a the the infamous um mobile studio which is an 81 uh Toyota Odyssey, not a Dolphin, but do you still own that? Yeah, I still own it. Yeah. It's sitting at, at our mutual friend Lisa's house rotting away, but it, it runs. I don't know what to do with it. I got to figure it out this year. 2021 is the year of what to do with the with the Odyssey, but uh, it's the same it, essential size. We should give it away size. to one of our patrons. I think, actually, I'm not, that's not far from the truth. It's more of an Enormacast thing. Right. It's uh, more of associated with that, but it's not, I mean, that could be a very likely use for it. It's got to go to somebody that doesn't mind the possibility of it not running all the time right it's not like a it's not this like a sweet gift it's like a hey are you gonna like be into something like this you know yeah because it's not it's old 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 the right kind of person needs i mean 1981 dude yeah like that was a long time ago i know i was born that year (laughs) exactly (laughs) so it's like 40 years old man (laughs) um um one thing i wanted to talk about was being out in Big Bend mm-hmm. and our our little daughter, our tiniest daughter, Bree Hayden, she wakes up at like 4.30 in the morning right, right. now. She's one and a half years old. And uh, of course, you know, we we kind of get up and then, you know, like linger in and out of sleep for an hour and then, and then it's coffee time. And right as the sun came up, I'd been on like my second or third cup of coffee and I walked down to the river, the Colorado River, and looked up at um, Lighthouse Tower, which is right above Big Bend. And I was just thinking back to this uh, week I spent with our our friend Hayden Kennedy climbing towers around that area for a few days. And on the last day of our trip, we were supposed to go climb Lighthouse. He was, he was psyched on climbing Lighthouse. I was just kind of following him and whatever he wanted to do. I ended up getting a text from Jen that our basement had flooded. And so I kind of bailed mm-hmm. on climbing lighthouse, which I've never done since and didn't get to do that day. And so I was just sitting by the river and looking up at this thing, thinking about Hayden, who's you know dead now. And, and just the fact that we didn't, we didn't get to climb this tower and, um, obviously we all lose people through climbing and if you climb long enough, you're going to have that experience of missing someone who's close to you. And it's just interesting to to have the news stories that get created. They become this like very sad story, which is, Oh, here's this thing I, I didn't get to do. Mm -hmm. 
and I will never get to do it with that person. And so, yeah, the, that was my new, my new story to add to the Hayden chapter was, was just like sort of randomly stumbling upon this memory, mm-hmm. which was a happy memory. And then realizing that he's gone and I'm not going to get to climb lighthouse tower with Hayden ever. It's just interesting to see how, when someone dies, that experience can just project itself, you know, many years after their death and suddenly pop into your life in in this new surprising way. Like I wasn't, I didn't go down to the river to look up at lighthouse tower to expect to feel sad. Right. You know, I just, just like wanted to have a moment and drink coffee and immerse myself in the beauty of the situation but that's what it became you know like you can't you can't escape that mm-hmm. if you had moments like that where you've just uh been you know minding your own business in your life and then stumbled into you know this co- sort of like sad realization that of of all the things that won't get to be you know that, that never will be because that person is gone one other thing that happened in the last couple of months climbing wise for me is going down to St. George. And, uh, it's interesting because when I got into St. George and we were going for a friend's birthday and we went down there and climbed for a couple of days with the, with sort of some good, good friends of ours, yours and mine. And, uh, you know, I realized when I got there that I hadn't been there since just after Hayden's death actually. And we, at the behest of, of my lady at Steph, she kind of like arranged it for me and and got our friend Steve Dilk and um, our friend Simon and myself and uh, Chris Parker and uh, Jeff Hollenbaugh, another another friend, to go down there. Just kind of like it had been something like six weeks since Hayden's death. And, and it was sort of like, well, why don't you guys go hang out, like be bros together, like do your bro thing. And um we went down there and I just, on that trip, I just realized it was like too soon. We were trying, I mean, we went climbing, which was fine. You know, you can kind of forget about things when you're climbing. It's sort of like one of the great gifts of, of what it is. You know, when you tie in and you start climbing, it's like pretty easy to be in the moment. But the rest of it just felt super forced, you know, super, uh, just like, okay, we're going to party tonight or we're going to have fun tonight. Like, let's go to a casino and like get crazy tonight, you know? And it just like, it fully just didn't work, you know? And I was like angry at the people I was with, you know, who are good friends of mine because we were all on different levels of like what our acceptance was. Um, I remember just like, we were at some dumpy place in Mesquite and like trying to figure out what was going on. And I just like, I could see a casino like super far in the distance and I just started walking across the desert towards it. Cause that was supposedly where we were supposed to go and like hang out and, you know, try to find something interesting that was going on, you know, to like make it happen. And it ended up just like, we kind of split into two crews and me and Chris like ended up just, which was good actually ended up just pouring it out to each other. But the point being is that when I went back this time, I, I just, totally remembered that trip because it was the first time back and this is what three years ago or longer and uh you know i was in saint george again and i was down there and just felt so much better and and kind of reveled in you know we're in the pandemic and so i haven't been hanging out with my friends the way i I should 
And I kept remarking on that trip of just like how good it was just to chill and hang out with my friends, you know, hang out with Maury and, and these guys that we, we, um, hang out with, you know, yeah. but I hadn't been, you know, usually you just see them all the time. And that's, you know, just kind of one of the things that's been lost to this pandemic. So, so Hayden was on my mind, but it was like, you know, and I, and I thought about like the, the idea of moving on and how the sadness, you know, has been quelled and, and, you know, it's just normal and natural. And, and I also thought though about being a parent, you know, you, you mentioned Bree Hayden, her middle name's named after Hayden. And, uh, you know, it's been, I think it's been easier being a parent. Um, cause you just like, you have no, no choice, but to go forward. You know, it's like Piper was alive and, uh, miles were both alive. You know, Hayden met both of those, both of our kids before he passed. And I just remember at the time, like even just the week it happened, like, you know, miles had no time for daddy being sad. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it's like, he doesn't, he's not going to like let you have your alone time to go and get, you know, cry in your room or whatever. And it was just like a, a wild thing where he just like pushed me forward, you know? And I think it's been useful. I think if I was still like that brooding desert alone guy, I probably, I probably wouldn't have moved forward in the way that I have at this point, you know, in terms of like, just, you know, dealing with it, accepting it. It's not, he's not coming back. You're not going to climb Lighthouse Tower with him, you know? Well, that was the thing that was just really interesting to experience this past weekend was just stumbling upon that without, you know, wanting it to be part of my life necessarily. Like I I didn't, I don't think about Lighthouse Tower. I didn't think about it Mm -hmm. at all. It was, it was just this weird experience of just happening to look up at this thing and thinking about this memory and then just having this realization that of all the things that just won't be, you know, imagine what that's like for his parents, like all, you know, the, the wedding that he won't have and the, um, all the things that he, that they, that, that we all won't get to see Hayden do. Right. You know, it's like, that's the, that's sort of the curse of grief is that it, it, it comes up in this, these like very strange places, like long after someone has died and, you know, we've had the, you know, we've like gone through the process of like kind of just getting over it and just accepting the new reality. And like, we can sit here and like talk about Hayden and not cry our eyes out, like, which wouldn't have been the case three We're getting years a little ago. close. We're getting close, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like three years ago, right. we'd be in tears and, um, it's still painful, of course, but we can talk about it and with a little bit more composure, um, but <laughs> don't yeah. talk about crying right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's just like, right. it's, it's, I just find the, 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 the shadow of grief to be this like endless thing that you, you find yourself, you're, you're just chilling, just walking across your normal daily life and all of a sudden you're into this shadow and you're like, wow, it's still there. Yeah, for sure. And like, honestly, like St. George and Mesquite will never not have that. Yeah. And it wasn't even associated with his death in, in a specific way, but it was like that trip was kind of, I don't know. It was, it was just a dark moment in the grieving process. Maybe the low point, Mm -hmm. um, in some ways for me. 
was that trip. Um, even though it wasn't meant to be like that, it was meant to be like a, well, let's, let's make a step forward. And it was just like, what the fuck are we doing here? You know? So it was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Hayden. Yeah. Happy birthday. Ooh, so much for not crying. Carolyn Treadway is a photographer and filmmaker who lives in South Lake Tahoe, California. Her new film is Light, which explores the difficult and unspoken topic of eating disorders among climbers, especially high performers such as Emily Harrington and Angie Payne, who became the first woman to climb a V13 back in 2010. You can watch Light on YouTube, where it's racked up over 100,000 views in just the last two weeks. I feel like we're ready to have the conversation. I feel like maybe if this film had come out before the Me Too movement, it might not be having the same reception. Like, I wonder about that. I think that this is the story that I wanted to tell. You know, it's like, this was why wait any longer? Because that only means that more people are left out there alone, like dealing with this stuff. Yeah, it just seemed like the right time. A lot of this project was an intuitive feeling. And so I just was like, I got to get it out in February by the latest, (laughs) you know. I think too, you know, everybody's home because of COVID and um, people are hungry for content. I mean, even on Netflix and all these channels, there's not a lot of new stuff coming out. And also, I mean, I kind of have been binge watching shows for like the past few years and really analyzing a lot of what I'm seeing in terms of story and in terms of character and in terms of plot and trendiness. I'm always so psyched when I see something good. Oh, like I want to write something good. I want to write something about this topic isn't just a sob story, like a sob, one sob story after another, but that was able to weave different generations in with an emotional like tie and also some sense of humor, <laughs> openness, not sense of humor as in it's funny, but you have to have those moments of lightness because otherwise it's just too dark, you know? I, I don't know how many people you uh, fielded to to do your film, but um, you know, in particular with Emily and and um, Angie, hit the jackpot with those two. I particularly was compelled by Angie's story, like you said, her humor with it. But it's like a dark, you know, it's a gallows humor with uh, her continuing struggle with it, and um, I just felt like that was. You know, like I said, you you kind of won the lottery there with with picking up those two women that got into this. Not to you know dismiss the other subjects of the of the film, but they stood out, and you spent the most time with them. How did you loop them in? To I mean, was there a I mean, because that speaks to just your skill as a director, I guess to to convince someone to to trust you to tell their story fairly, and especially about such a vulnerable topic. And so, what was the process of being able to? convince Angie and Emily in particular to uh, be a part of this project? Honestly, it didn't take any convincing. (laughs) 
But I think part of that is because I know those people, those people know me, have known me for years. They've seen me around. They know my character. So there's some trust built there. But I mean, they didn't know how I was going to tell the story. <laughs> you know, it's, everybody trusted me with so much. I really felt that like, oh man, I better do a good job. <laughs> you know, like it's a big deal when people trust you with their stories. Um, do you feel like your own experiences with eating disorders went into some of that trust that they had that you would do a good, a good and fair job with this? I wasn't going to originally put myself in the film. So I actually tried to make this, I tried to make the film without me. And yeah, it just lacked like the emotional connectivity. So that's when I realized I had to put the VO in and include my own story, which I was like, oh, nobody wants to hear that, you know? And, um, and then once I did that, I was like, oh, okay, this at least gets people's attention at the beginning. <laughs> and I think it works because, because I'm going there, you know, and then I'm asking people to go there, but that's only as you watch the film, like the people I interviewed didn't really know about my experiences. I mean, I think I said, yeah, like I struggled too, but I hadn't written any of that stuff. So I didn't know that. I was going to put myself in there. And I think that because I'm not a quote unquote professional climber, I never thought that my experiences with my eating disorder would mean anything to anybody, you know, because I really mainly struggled before I started climbing and climbing was a way that I started to like feel good about myself. But then of course that sort of went through ups and downs. And I certainly had times in my life where I went back to restricting but never as badly as when I was a teenager. What was the choice with the animation for your parts? Tell me about that and, and, and where did that come from and may, maybe uh, how you ended up hooking up with this particular illustrator? Sarah Nicholson was the illustrator and I saw her work on Instagram and I met her in Boulder and she was kind of out like I would go to the park in Boulder, go to Mount Evans and Sarah would be there with like Marcy and just this posse of girls. And so we climbed together a little bit and just became friends. And I always loved her work. And so I said, Sarah, want to help me with this project? I have an idea. And she had never done illustration for a film before. So that was really exciting because she, I think she learned a lot of like the technical process of how that works, as did I. And then we had Ted help animate or Ted did the animation. So basically my personal story came into the project in like April of 2020 and I didn't have any visuals to go along with it. So it was just, <laughs> you know, how do you show that? So animation seemed like a, a no brainer because how else would you get somebody into the story? And I also think there's something cool that happens with animation where you sort of like suspend your sense of reality for a moment and let yourself get carried away into a story. And like, who doesn't love that? I'm just so glad that the choice was made because I just, when you were talking about putting the voiceover in late, I just started flashing to so many key moments for me were in your voiceover, plot wise, but also just educationally. You know, there were certain things where it really 
clicked with me how powerful self-image is and how powerful i mean the the thunder thighs comment part of it not to be a spoiler uh but it's just that's where i i just kind of like it floored me to try you know trying to empathize with this disorder I can do it intellectually, emotionally. It's really hard for me to do because you know I, I don't have I'm, I don't have a toe in it, and so that one was like you know to to know that this can be pinpointed almost to this moment, this comment, and uh, for a little girl was just too almost too much. You know, it's almost like I had to stop it for a minute and think about that. Yeah, I think these ideas um, get in your head pretty young, or can get into people's heads pretty young. Like who knows when you start feeling self-conscious, but certainly that was a particular moment that I felt like I needed to find a way, a personal way to talk about these big things like diet culture. Like you can talk about diet culture, this, that all day long, but it doesn't make sense emotionally unless you take somebody there. One question I have for you is just, I I would love to hear your just definition of what an ED disorder actually is, because there's this sort of nebulous understanding in my own head that I feel confused about. So maybe you can help me understand it a little bit better. But I mean, there's this, if I were to try to sketch the terrain that it could possibly fall under this umbrella, you know, there's something that could be defined as like pushing your limits to achieve that next level of performance. And in one context that can be viewed as like healthy or a sign of um, determination and dedication to something. And at some point, of course, that gets, you know, taken too far and it crosses into something that's unhealthy. But then there's also this other thing that's confusing about how we talk about this in the climbing world, which is really revolves around the fact that, you know, the people, especially particularly in your film who, who have eating disorders, they're also performing at like the highest end in the sport. And so they're not on, on one level, you know, on one, by one measure, they're not, you know, infirmed in a hospital because their behavior have, have resulted in such bodily failure that they need medical intervention. They're, they're actually achieving highest end of athletic achievement and climbing. And so there's like this paradox there that sort of undercuts, you know, an understanding of what the, the quote unquote word disorder is. So I just love to hear like what, how you kind of define what that is. I think defining eating disorder is like (laughs) a rabbit hole that I'm not even qualified to go into. There's a medical physical side. I'm sure there's some like things that you cross along the way to unhealthiness, metabolism, heart rate slowing down, like getting cold and feeling chilly and sort of developing more and more maybe obsessive behavior. So more of the psychological impacts, you know, it might not impact you all at once. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a gradation. I mean, it's a, it's a spectrum of, I guess you wouldn't cross a threshold into one day having a disorder and then, you know, versus the day before just being extremely dedicated, considered extremely dedicated to improving your performance. It seems to me like the people who are at the top of the sport, you have to make sacrifices. You have to push yourself. You can't sit around and be like, well, I'm just going to like eat ice cream every day and do nothing because I'm like loving myself or something. I don't know, you know, like self-acceptance versus pushing yourself. 
Okay. So yeah, I just have so many thoughts. It's crazy. Cause I do hear a lot of climbers say like, well, yeah, like, but if you're at, if you're doing the hardest thing in the world, like it's worth it. You know what I mean? Maybe those two pounds, that pound of water weight or whatever it is, is, is worth achieving the best in the world at something or some great pinnacle in climbing. But it's like, what's the right way to push yourself? I mean, are we boiling everything down to like food? Because there's so much more going on when you're climbing than just what you've eaten. There's your mental state, there's your rest, there's your, you know, psych level, there's your whatever, like a million things, right? Focus level. Food seems to be like this one thing that people really, really focus a lot on. I'm just curious about like the other aspects, you know, if we could focus on the other aspects, would we see just as much improvement? Because some of the climbers who I know at the very top levels too, might not be considered that healthy, like in terms of the, the food they're eating, maybe they don't eat all day long, you know, and they drink like a bunch of wine or have burgers or whatever it is at night, you know what I mean? And they're still climbing at the top. Yeah. So climbing is a, is a, like you can get a, away with a lot, I think, in climbing, but eventually you pay the price mentally and physically, I think. Of course, a lot of people have read, I think, Andrew, you mentioned in an article like back in the day about cheating. I think there's like this sense of guilt from some climbers, like a lot of climbers that I've talked to who've achieved high achievements, who've, made, who've sent hard climbs at a very low weight. And so that's something that also, I think is a reason why people don't want to talk about it, right? Because they're like, oh, did it mean that I really did this thing if I did it when I was unhealthy? So I watched this last night with my wife and uh, we, we talked about it for about an hour and a half afterward, actually. So it really um, sparked a, you know, kind of a contentious or just deep conversation. And one thing that she brought up that was interesting was just how vulnerable teenage girls are to this issue which is sort of, you know, obliquely referenced in, in a lot of ways in the film to spell it out a little bit, but, you know, based on our conversation, the girl, teenage girls, their bodies are going through changes in ways that really change how they climb their hips widen, their center of gravity changes. They, they grow breasts and everything. And so everything is like, really in this state of flux and you see the, you know, those videos of like Emily and Angie when they were that age. And basically they look prepubescent in a lot of ways. Like they're, they're putting off in some ways that maturation into, into adult, uh, you know, womanhood. And so there is this performance aspect to that. Like there's this, it's staving off the the, the changes that your body inevitably wants to make in order to keep yourself at that edge. And so, you know, you hear a lot of stories about teenage girls with eating disorders who just, they don't have, don't get their period until they're 21 or something, or anyway, it's an interesting, um, just to narrow in on, on where this, this problem is, is I think really most salient, I think, identifying that group and just flagging that group is, is, um, interesting to think about because, and, and it's something that men don't really go through. I mean, as, as we go through puberty, our bodies just get stronger, basically, you know, the, the fat content doesn't change in our bodies based on just, you know, the hormonal development that we experience, we just get more muscles. And so it is this unique experience between the, those two 
groups of people, especially as more and more young climbers are now climbing to just identify and have conversations with young climbers about their relationship to food and nutrition and what is and isn't healthy. And, you know, of course we, you know, Jen and I were talking a lot about this, given the fact that we have two girls um, who we're raising right now. And so just understanding like, what does it mean to engender an appreciation for performance and pushing limits and, you know, trying to succeed and achieve success versus what is this completely different measure of success, which is, you know, making sure your body is getting what it needs and is developing in a way that's healthy and not to, you know, compare yourself to other people. And also just, you know, to, to, to in some way to avoid the, the inevitable scenarios in, in their lives where they'll, they'll get that thunder thighs comment that sticks with them for the rest of their life and makes them uh, struggle and, and needlessly, you know? So um, I don't know, that was just some of the thoughts that we, that we had in response to your film must be scary to be a dad of <laughs> of two girls oh my gosh i guess they're not teenagers uh yet but they will be one so uh, one is four years old going on 16 uh in some ways so she's uh she's already demonstrating teenage rebellious behaviors uh yeah at least she'll be an individual <laughs> yeah I think it sounds so cheesy, but like the power of role models is really transformative. I think it can be, you know, positive ones and negative ones too can be transformative in a bad way. But um, I think traveling a lot and going to other cultures and seeing other examples of beauty and femininity, bigger bodies, I think that that's been really important for me to see like, Oh gosh, I'm just like, look at that woman. She is like rocking it and she's having a great time. And she's probably like sixties and she's doing the tango or something like with joy, you know? And I think that that's the best role model is like to do something with joy. Right. And, and I mean, that's really simple, but you know, do you want to be around climbers who are having a good time or climbers who are not having a good time? So in life, there's always going to be haters and bullies and people who say mean things. But it's so important to not let that cover up your own light just because those people are like that. That's not going to hold me back from expressing my joy for something or, or who I am or whatever. It's been really important to to hear people when they say like, that's not okay. You know, that's not okay to comment on bodies like that. Like that personally gives me a sense of relief because I feel like the body consciousness is contagious and you know, it's like, um, whatever we can do to stop that, whether it's to call it by its name or whether it's to provide the opposite example, which is of body acceptance and joy in whatever we're doing, including, and maybe especially climbing. I didn't have that. So I, I don't know, I guess I felt like I just didn't want this cycle to continue without saying something because that's not the way to have, like, that's not the way to happiness and success to constantly feel bad about yourself. You know, it sounds like the, the timing of the film and of the project um, was personal, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, but I also wonder about maybe external influences 
thinking about I don't we can't get on this tad tangent. I'm only going to drop it here. Um, social media, you know, uh, Andrew and I have talked about this, and I have a little boy, and I feel like social media is just a, a it's a scourge to uh, to tween and teenage girls. In, in particular, um, with the judgmentalness and, you know, you don't have to have your friend sit next to you and tell you something mean. It, it comes over your the Internet like in streams. But talking a little bit, you know, one of the through lines of the of the, your subjects in the film is competition, is climbing competition and particularly youth competition, um, although it's almost all youth competition now. Let's face it. Um, the adults don't get to play anymore um, against these these younger kids. You know, and it's something that I've brought up on the, the Enormacast occasionally is this, I've already had this worry as we're talking about competitions becoming more popular and that scene is like this really good thing and we've got the Olympics and it's all going to the world stage. And as an educator, I taught high school for five years. Um, my part of my brain's like, oh no, oh no, like this is not good. This is, you know, the pressure mounting towards this thing that used to be this fun little thing that kids do, you know, as their sport versus the sport they do at high school now becomes this center stage where there's money on the table and accolades. Like it's made me really nervous and I've brought it up with people trying to kind of get into it. And, um, you know, I, I talked to Katie Brown, your friend, um, about this very subject, um, last year, but it feels like, you know, you're dropping this thing in at this very important time, um, aside from the social media. But um, the Olympics and everything is just it's so much rah, rah, rah with it. But I like I said, as an educator, I'm just like, you know, look at gymnastics. Like, that's my big analogy is like the gymnastic world is so fraught with this. And it has been for we know about it for is it's long as it's been in existence, you know, younger and younger kids and particularly girls and you know getting chewed up and spit out by this thing and i just feel like maybe you know it was personal but you're you're here to like try to put the brakes on the pressure and things that go with this youth competition a little bit and is that in your mind do you, do you see this you know you're, you're talking about turning the tide or like you know fighting against the cycle and meanwhile i see this like i see this tidal wave of like gosh, we got to put the brakes on this a little bit because it's, there's going to get, kids are going to get chewed up if we don't, you know, come at this at a, in a new way. I think it's just a conversation that's been long overdue. And now like we can't wait any longer to have it because there's so many people that are at risk of damaging themselves. I think that said, like not everybody who loses weight and gets in shape, has an eating disorder. I'm certainly like not saying that, but you never know who's going to go over the edge. They might start and be fine, but some people aren't going to be able to stop. And, uh, and again, like it's not to judge. It's not to say that it's anybody's fault. It's just to say like, okay, this is something that we all kind of see, right? I mean, I've gotten thousands of comments from stories from people. Like, it's not just the story that, you know, it's just not, not just the people in this film. So, yeah, I think um, we need to start having the conversation and, like, just take some of the pressure off. Because the scariest thing is the first time you say something, right? But every time after that, it, I think it gets easier. At least that's my hope. Well, it's an essential part of the of of what you've done, and again, 
you know, accolades for that because, uh, you know, I, t talking to, to Katie Brown, you know, it's like we all knew, and I say this going back to the 90s, like everyone knew it was this open secret, so to speak. You know, every you couldn't look at her in her prime and not be like, holy cow. And and so it's that, it's that thing of like the accolades – you know, just overwhelming the the need to to sort of intervene, and the feeling of intervening is is tricky and hard. And I've felt it on the Enormacast, even you know, with subjects who I have an inkling that there is this thing, and we can't get at it because they don't want to talk about it either. Um, so it's it's a tricky thing, but I think it's just part of you know, why this is so important right now um, and what you've done because you've done it so well is, is just going to, it's only going to drop good into this conversation as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I hope you feel proud of that and, and, and the stories you're hearing. But I do have another question. You have taken this film project and you tried not to put yourself into it. You did. Now, you know, you're on this tour of talking about this film. You know, I know you did one yesterday. You're here on, on the on the run out. There's going to be more. Like, how is that making you feel if you could talk about it? Are you, is it hard to dredge this stuff up? Is it getting easier? What's your feeling about having put yourself out there and and taking care of yourself in this conversation? I don't know. I thought that I would be done when I finished the film. And, <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm some kind of like speaker about this topic. And, you know, I'm not a I doctor. mean, get ready. This thing could, this <laughs> thing honestly could get really big to where, you know, whoever is calling you from mainstream media. So, uh, you know, it's like the run out is not the end. <laughs> oh man. Well, no, I'm honored to be on the run out. <laughs> Yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride. Like I said, I'm pretty shy. So like for the most part, I'd rather be writing and working on the next project than being, in <laughs> being interviewed. <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that, but like, I don't know. I'm just not a good personal promoter and I don't like, that's, I just kind of want to write more, you know, and I want to keep putting my energy towards projects that I really care about. And I feel like, I think... You know, people are like, well, we want to interview you about the film. And I'm like, well, I don't really have anything else to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not totally true. Obviously, I have a lot to say. Oh, and to go back to like the the thing about the top people at the top, I think one thing that's different now about climbing um, and people trying to stay as lean as possible all the time year round is that there's no break in the season for people. So I've heard like certain climbers talk about taking a seasonal rest, you know, the way other sports, you might have like a cycle where you're training hard and they kind of like, you know, rest and then you train hard again. Uh, but a lot of climbers like staying at the very top, you know, if you're talking like V15 or something like that level all the time year round for years and years and years in a row, like there, I, I believe there's a price that your body pays for that. But maybe it's just the genetic mutants who are able to handle it, you know, and continue to to perform at the top level. I don't know. There's an interesting needle to thread for the media in terms of how the how to talk about, you know, high end or top end achievements while also not either addressing the, the you know this elephant in the room as it's as it's called in the film skinny elephant in the room um as angie said love that <laughs> uh you know the and if i were to guess 
like what the best practices would be it, there it can't be uh, come you know like if there is to be this openness about this conversation it can't come from a place of judgmentalness like so there has to be how how, how can you say this person you know did a nine A plus? Let's rah rah rah. Let's you know all cheer for for them and their success. But hey, you know you look unhealthy. <laughs> you know, like you might want to like look into that or like think about think about that if that's going to be part of your life. Like, what can make your life better? And so I I don't know how that plays into the media ethics, so to speak, of of s- celebrating. You know the the upper echelon of the sport and, and just if there is like this ethical onus to sort of not call out, call out's the wrong word, but just identify it gently, gently nudge compassionately, uh, you know, nudge a person to, you know, consider that we see them and we see what you're doing to yourself. And how do you compassionately speak to someone about this in a way that isn't judgmental, and and is helpful yeah. and and productive and conducive to you know helping them see what what you're seeing which they might not see themselves i mean i think it's hard to tell if somebody has an eating disorder however you want to define it and i'm using that loosely as like unhealthy obsessive unhappy like not getting enough kind of stuff yeah that was the whole crux of the film really that was my whole goal in the VO. And I felt like I had to find the judgments within myself, find the, the denial in myself, find the ways that I had turned away from the issue, like I said in the film. And I didn't, like, so I just tried to own everything <laughs> and it wasn't that hard. <laughs> but I, I do think it is hard. Like you have to be a certain I'm a writer type person. So I like to go into those things. And, um, but yeah, I knew that it was just a very fine line, like very easily people feel judged. And so it was like a lot of me wondering, you know, can I do this? But it was important to have that non-judgmental vibe because I think that's the only way to like make progress with this because the point is like, nobody knows how to deal with it. We're all just saying like, Oh, Hey, maybe this is like a thing, but we've all known it's a thing for a long time. But I don't have the solution. You know, the solution hopefully will come from the conversations that evolve. How would you feel if the run out just disappeared one day? Would you gnash your teeth and weep, pull your hair out and cry into the night? Or would you simply shrug your shoulders and think, meh, another pair of washed up climbers silenced in the abysmal maw of the internet? Well, if you're in the former group, and maybe even in the latter, then consider supporting The Runout by going to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and signing up to be a runout rope gun. In addition to keeping the normal spray coming, the runout rope guns are treated to scintillating bonus content, like the recent Celebrity Deathmatch episode, where the runout runs down the history of Hollywood's toe dipping and climbing, who's legit, and who's just posing for TMZ. So get on board with the lifestyle choice that is the runout and go to patreon.com slash runout podcast today.
Welcome to another round of Who's <laughs> Is This Anyway? <laughs> this is the game where you try to match the famous power scream to both the climber and the root. Today's <laughs> is courtesy of one of the hardest three-move sequences in the world, and as you're about to hear, it produced a veritable triple of treble, a trio of tryhard, a triad of triumph that echoes through the Viking halls of this northern granite crag. Let's listen. This climber's best climbing partner is his mother. His favorite food is Nutella, especially when spread on a classic French crepe. His most recent first ascent is beyond Integral, of 515 B.C., at saint Lou in southern France, where he lives. If you guess Seb Boin climbing Move, 515 BC in Flattinger, Norway, congratulations. <laughs> Seb has been on a tear over the past few years repeating some of Adam Andra's hardest rock climbs and adding his own first ascents up to 515, such as Le Rage de Adam, a tribute to one of his climbing heroes and one of the all-time power screamers. For more Seb Bois climbing porn, check out his Vintage Rock Tour series, in which he travels around Europe to repeat some of the hardest routes in sport climbing history and pay homage to the visionaries of yesteryear. Thanks for playing, everyone, and remember, sending should never be silent. And we'll see you here next time on Who's <laughs> Is This Anyway? You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kaluz, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.